We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, if you've seen R.J. Barrett's pink suit that he wore to the draft or the formal wear he's been wearing in the tunnel walks and other events, those are all Indochino suits and blazers. Indochino's really cool. You, you go online and you give your measurements, and they're like 17 measurements. I was not expecting to fill out that much, but they measure you in all these different places to make sure that it's tailored just right for you. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. Plus, you get to personalize all of the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all yourself at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering BlueWire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for $30 off of your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Harry's, Indochino, and ShipStation. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Lakers just got a pair of really big road wins at Denver, where they controlled most of the game. Denver went on a bit of a second half run, and it was close toward the end of the game, but the Lakers controlled the majority of it. And then they went into Utah the next night and just whooped on them. Utah's had some big losses lately, but they do play really well at home and had a really good home record. So there was a lot of 
chatter about the Lakers' strength of schedule, and we even talked about the first 19 games going into the season, uh, you know, being the easier chunk of the schedule or one of them. And uh, that really, you know, I think silenced a lot of people around the league and has getting has been getting eyes to kind of open to really how good this team is. I am becoming a bigger and b- bigger believer in what this team can do by the day. Uh, Darius, what do you see that stood out to you in these last two games? I wrote about this today when I was recapping and giving some thoughts about the win over the Jazz. And I'm going to sound like a broken record when it comes to this, but a lot of what I saw was just like resiliency and and sort of this mental toughness. I think one one of the things... Mm that's been going on around the team the last handful of days or so is like, guys are sick. You know, Anthony Davis, he had to get an IV at halftime during the Denver game. Him and Kuz were supposedly, based off what Frank Vogel was saying, two two of the more sick players head, heading into the Utah game. I felt like a really good response mentally to the task at hand. The Lakers have won 10 straight road games. Yeah. And, and they actually... The only road game they've lost this right. season was actually at Staples Center right? That's right. against the Clippers. That's right. And so they have not lost outside of the building. The thing that impressed me about the Jazz game specifically was the Jazz came out red hot. And it sort of looked like a lot of these other games that the Lakers had played when they weren't necessarily as focused, right? Like um, Bogdanovich started the game. He hit back-to-back threes. Danny Green then hit a three to cut the lead in half. But then Gobert got a lob dunk pretty easy off of like just a standard pick and roll stuff. And then Ingles hit that step back three against LeBron. And I was sort of like, here we go again, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. this looks like the Grizzlies game or the Suns game or any of these other games where you thought, oh, man. And with the team on the second night of a back to back and guys sick. I didn't think the Lakers were going to fold necessarily, but it wouldn't have surprised me if it would have been like a 15-point deficit Mm. very early on, right? Instead, they battled back. You know, it was like a two- or three-point game, but basically they then took over in the first quarter, and then in the second quarter, they ran them out of the building, right? Took an 18-point lead into halftime. There's a certain amount of just, like I said before, mental toughness, I feel like, that was there from them that stood out to me more than like X's and O's stuff or strategy or anything like that. It's interesting that we saw a lot of the same things, but I think came to different conclusions in terms of why it worked out that way. I see a really physically tough team and like Hmm. it's very rare in the NBA to see such a bigger, faster, stronger discrepancy than the Lakers versus Denver and Utah. Like it's one thing if it's Washington or Atlanta, these guys that are kids and like maybe they're good athletes, but it's not. But the athletic discrepancy between the Lakers and these two teams that they played was really significant considering those teams are good. Like Utah's good, Denver's better, but they're both legitimately good teams in their own building. And bro, it looked like JV versus VAR some of the time. The Lakers were head and shoulders above the jazz. So I did not think of it from the standpoint of the physical stuff, but that's 100% true, man. The Jazz even went to a bigger lineup to start the game. They put in Ingles at point guard. Ingles has been struggling this year, and and he's been coming off the bench. He had basically been replaced in the starting lineup by Royce O'Neal, who's sort of a younger player, right? 
O'Neal didn't start and they replaced him with Jeff Green mm-hmm. to sort of match up with like LeBron or Anthony Davis, right? So, so what does that say? So what does that say in the first place, right? It's that the yeah. other coach is like very cognizant of this discrepancy. Yeah, like we're going to throw out maybe some of our best athletes, especially on the front line. Mm-hmm. Bogdanovich has a bit of a history with LeBron James. He gave him some defensive troubles with the Pacers a couple of seasons ago when mm-hmm. Indiana pushed the Cavs, I think, to mm-hmm. to seven games in the playoffs before LeBron basically decided in game seven, you know, yeah, we're not losing. Right. I'm going to the post and I'm just going to bully you. Right? That's right. And he didn't do a lot of that against Bogdanovich in this game. He did some of that, but but not a lot. The point that you're making is is a good one. Like Gobert isn't the most beefiest of players, but but he's a physically imposing guy, but JaVale's eye to eye with him, right? And then you look at Anthony Davis, who is the great, he's not even an equalizer. He is a trump card, right? And so he's out there towering over Jeff Green. He's closing out on Bogdanovich and Bogdanovich is is sidestepping and then trying to shoot a three. And Davis is then reaching back and getting a fingernail to block that or to to get his hand on on that three-point attempt. And there's a bunch of stuff like that. And then the Lakers come at you with waves again, right? Like Dwight Howard is now come coming in. Kyle Kuzma's not the most physically imposing player, but you saw at the end of the game, you know, and this is something I want to talk about with Kuzma in general, but have you noticed the last couple of games from him defensively mm-hmm. as a backline rotator? He had a couple of really good contests against Denver, went up vertical, yes. bothered some shots. For some misses at the rim against the Jazz, he had three block shots and four steals. Some of that was sloppiness by the Jazz, but some of it's just, I think that is indicative of the activity that Kuzma's had on the back line as a defender. And so it's interesting, just like you said, that that we sort of came at this from two different angles. But if I'm seeing a mentally tough team and you're seeing a physically tough team. That's good news, man. That's yes. really good news. Like... I, <laughs> this seems really, really good. And I I go back to, you know, we talked a little bit about like the basketball wisdoms and maybe in the second half of the show, we'll get into some of that. But that is one thing that I think Palinka noticed in putting together this team is the potential to be really athletically superior because yeah. you, you, so you've got Dwight, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. They are in the top 1% of physically dominant players of the last decade in the NBA. Now, Dwight is not what he once was, and you could say the same about LeBron, but LeBron is still force of nature type of athlete, top three, top five. You know, I don't want to handle him physically, and AD's in there too. And so you've got a guy who alongside the two superstars has at least been that and he's still very strong that and and Dwight has some like his reflexes with his hands his strength these other attributes beyond just the ability to jump out of the gym that are natural athletic gifts or even if there's things that he's worked on he has that like he's just getting held for offensive rebounds twice a game and he's you know discarding guys tossing them to the side when trying to get those boards And, and so you've got that and then You've got even guys like Caruso and his ability athletically 
Avery Bradley is is very is strong for a guard and has a you know nice wingspan. KCP is fast. You remember Polinka, and this is why I bring it back to him. Would always talk about like playing with thrust or yeah. with force or something like that. Can you kind of see on this roster like I think that's what he means? Just these guys who can go and go and go. Even Javale McGee athletically has the ability to just jump and jump all day long. I feel like. The bold font stuff with with the Lakers will almost always be Anthony Davis and LeBron James Mm -hmm. and their talent and what makes them great players is sort of like, oh, well, they're great players. Right. But the stuff that you're talking about right now are all of these little pieces that make them the physically dominant and give them the physical tools. Right. To then displace teams with their skill. Right. Mm. Like I've always said that the very best players are physically gifted and they're smart as hell. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have those two things and you're just going to be head and shoulders above these regular all star type guys who maybe have one or the other, but they don't necessarily put them together nightly. You listen to Frank Vogel talk, and I think that he said this on um, the official Lakers podcast with our buddy Aaron and Mike, right? Mm -hmm, Former mm -hmm. guests of the LFR pod. I think Vogel was talking about the collective intelligence of AD and LeBron and why he uses them as sort of sounding boards for ideas and involves them in this collaborative way when it comes down to decision making and executing game plan and and how those guys are sort of extensions of the coaching staff on the floor. All right, that's great, right? We typically say things like that about guys like Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like this point guard idea. Yeah. Bring that back though to like a 6'9", 265 pound power forward who is one of the, you talked about the top 1% of 1%. This guy is like, you know, yeah. LeBron historically is ridiculous. Yeah. Anthony Davis is the same exact way. So you're combining both this mental ability to think the game at a high level with this physical ability to just come at you. It's just scary. Mm-hmm. Against the Jazz, Davis and LeBron specifically, they made it look easy. It was easy against NBA players who are sort of just like them, right? Like what physical gifts necessarily does Anthony Davis have over like a Rudy Gobert? Besides weight, Jeff Green is basically one of those. Look, Jeff Green's a 6'9", 240, 245 pound, really good athlete too. LeBron and AD were just blowing those guys off of the floor. So like AD is the fluidity of Jeff Green and even beyond that with some of Gobert's size. Gobert's bigger than AD is for sure, but the combination of the two. And then with LeBron, it's the the power. I, I love that you brought up the IQ and the mental aspect of especially Anthony Davis. LeBron, as one of the game's great passers, has always been properly recognized as one of the smartest players in the game. AD does not get that recognition to the degree that he deserves. Defensively, he's a genius. The way that he sets guys up to their weak hand or to angles where he can like meet them at the rim and and contest that that closeout 
and then ability to reload and block the shot from out of bounds. That's physical gifts for sure, but he got a step and a half into that closeout before that ball was passed. He was on the yeah. on the opposite elbow when that play started to develop, and he erased a mistake that really wasn't his rotation in, in that circumstance. And all of that goes back to being you know, mentally a half step ahead of everybody else. When you combine that with his physical gifts, that's why you get what you get with him. Remember how we talked about this team like in the preseason against like a team like the Warriors, right? And we sort of talked about them as, man, they just sort of come at you in waves yeah. with size and all of this stuff. Like to do that against a team like Denver or a team like the Jazz, we've seen now what the Warriors kind of are, which is not very good. But the Jazz, they were 12-9 and nine coming in to the game with the Lakers. That's somewhat disappointing considering the talent that's on this roster. The Jazz also have a history of starting a little bit slower. That said, before the season started, the Jazz were a team everyone was talking about as being this top two or three seed team, this dark horse team to reach the finals, right? They were being talked about with the Lakers and the Clippers and like even the Rockets as like, yeah, like this is a viable Western Conference Finals team. I know it's only one game or whatever, and they had just had a road trip themselves and played some difficult games. Whatever, man. The Lakers like blew him off the floor. And you saw my attitude last night online. <laughs> there was really nothing anyone was going to say to me last night. I'm feeling good about this team, as good as I felt about any team really at this stage of the season, probably since like the 09. Yeah. The, like the 09 team. Yeah. So we don't have to do the whole it was just one game thing. You and yeah. I have been watching basketball for long enough that no, that's right. like they didn't belong on the court with the Lakers. Like they were the Lakers were several orders better and and more equipped to be better in the future as well than Utah was. Denver punched back more than Utah did, but they're not in the Lakers league either. And these are kind of perennial second tier teams that are solid playoff teams that are will get a high seed, but you don't necessarily view them as contenders. Now, that is an ecstatic state where they will stay in that place forever and ever. Like you said, Utah had expectations, as did Denver going into the season, but they look clearly behind the Lakers. That's and, right. And what that means to me is that the Lakers are probably in tier one with the Bucks and the Clippers, that, yeah. that's how I would fill it out. And they could even make an argument like, you know, we'll see. Lakers got to beat the Clippers on Christmas. We got to see how they match up with Milwaukee. But if the Lakers aren't the best team in the NBA, they are in that top tier right next to them. So let's take a quick break. And uh, when we get back, we'll, we'll keep getting at this. Are you looking for a great gift for someone in your life? If you're looking for a great gift for someone in your life, Harry's is both thoughtful and practical. Listeners of the show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Holiday sets are just $20 and a Harry's blade refills are as low as $2 each. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer for fans of the show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off of any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, 
five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel cover to protect your blades, and it's packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com backslash bluewire. That's harrys.com backslash bluewire. And while we're here, the holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all of those orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered on time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. So I've been on this kick recently about basketball wisdoms. I've been bringing that phrase up uh, because it's something that that I, I really believe in in my travels in basketball and covering it and being a fan. That's been something that I I think has really emerged as a theme is that there are all sorts of different types of people with something really valuable to say about the game. The most common debate is the eye test versus analytics. And I want to talk a little bit about the eye test because I think that the eye test crowd has a couple of victories to celebrate. It's early, but victories to celebrate so far with this Lakers team, specifically with Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo. These are guys that people will advocate for them and have advocated for them. And the analytics have very much screamed in the other direction, right? Like, no, this is not a good player. Um, Both Avery Bradley prior to his injury and Rondo uh, after his have shown that they do have value to this team. The sustainability of that is up for debate. The, you know, if that's going to show itself differently when both guys are healthy, I'm just talking up to this point through 22 games, they have shown that that they really have value to this team. Why do you think there's maybe the discrepancy? And this is a big question, so, so feel free to chew on it, please. But why do you think there's such a big discrepancy between the numbers and then when we see them in action on this team, they've actually been pretty good. And their analytics are good this year, right? So yes. how does it go from one to the other? One of my basketball wisdoms is always context. Yes. To me, context is always key, right? And so you talk about the analytics, the analytics always need to be placed in context. And the smart people will tell you that as well. They're not watching a spreadsheet while the game is on in the background and trying to read it like it's a monitor in the matrix, Right. right? Like there's not a bunch of numbers flickering across the screen. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a Rondo assist hunt. Mm-hmm. Analytics people are like, so what is the real context behind this stuff? And the best scouts and eye test people will tell you the same thing. If you remember some of our conversations leading up to the season and then even throughout this first part of the year, let's take Rondo, for example. One of the reasons why 
I was down on Rondo is because traditionally over the last several years, coaches have put him into an outsized role that has led to a certain type of underperformance or poor production that has manifested itself in things like on off or lineup construction data that that tells us that him and LeBron don't necessarily mesh and all kinds of other stuff. One of the reasons why, though, at the beginning of the season, you and I were talking about, hey, you know what? Rondo hasn't played, but I kind of think the Lakers might need Rajon Rondo. Mm -hmm. And one of the drivers for me behind that discussion, and you can chime in here, is that there are specific parts of his skill set that are needed on this roster that that's where the value add is, Yeah. right? And so... Look at some of the lineup stuff. Oh, he's on the court with LeBron. I saw you tweet out a great number today and and tell me more about this too with the Rondo and Alex Caruso pairing, Mm -hmm. right? There There are ways to build and construct lineups where the sort of skill sets mesh together and you start to get to that point where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Right. I think that's part of what we're seeing right now with the eye test guys proclaiming a little bit of victory is some of those things that we see on the court where it's just like, yeah, we knew Rondo could do these things, but when he's asked to do them too much or at too high of a usage, the analytics then push back against how useful those things are. But in the right context, they are useful. And and that's it right there. To me, the eye test provides the reasons why to go along with the the what that analytics can bring. The reason why context matters so much is because you need different skill sets represented in order to form a good team because different scenarios happen on every play for every team. And I'm talking all the way down to the high school level and even below that, right? If you don't have a point guard and say at the high school level, if you don't have somebody who can handle the ball and you get pressed, defenses don't like to press at really high levels of basketball. But if you are lacking in this area, all of a sudden something that didn't work before does work now. And that happens all the way up the chain of sophistication of how complicated the game can get all the way up to playoff and finals level NBA basketball. There are all of these if you can't do this, we will exploit you. Or if you can do this, like this whole delusion wave that we're talking about with the Lakers is in part because every great defender the Lakers have compounds on its on each other, right? So if you've yeah. got Anthony Davis as, say, the best defensive player in the NBA, alongside a really good help defender in Danny Green and a good on-ball defender in Green, along with Alex Caruso and along with Avery Bradley and along with KCP and Dwight Howard, all of a sudden you've reached critical mass collectively to where things that normally work for other teams because you have so much of this one thing, all of a sudden they break down and you cannot finish around the hoop. Hey, all of a sudden our whole we're going to protect we're going to score at the rim and kick out for open threes. Well, what if you can't score at the rim anymore? What happens yeah. to your whole plan then? And so 
Avery Bradley and Rondo provide certain skill sets in that chain, Rondo being the NBA comparison to the high school team that doesn't have a ball handler. When we went up against the Clippers that first game, it was really interesting from a basketball perspective because they ball pressured the hell out of our guards, which you don't see to that degree on the NBA level that often. And none of our guards had that necessary skill set to break that thing that normally doesn't work. And so it just stopped the whole chain of what the Lakers could do right there on a lot of plays. And LeBron was exhausted by the end of that game because he was the one guy who could do that thing. All of a sudden we have Rondo now along with LeBron. And now we've got 48 minutes of that. And even some minutes where LeBron's on the court, but he doesn't have to be that the whole time. Right. So that to me, the eye test is the why and the why is the context. Right. And so all of this stuff plays together. And that leads me to a guy I know you've been wanting to talk about is a good eye test guy, like somebody who passes my eye test, but is not particularly beloved by the analytics at this point is Kyle Kuzma. And we can see how he's, even with our our eyes, right? He's not fitting in particularly well on offense. And we've talked a lot about, a lot about him, but there is something there and we all acknowledge it. So how do we get a similar victory out of the eye test that Kuz passes to make it more productive in the way that we've been able to marry that with Rondo and Bradley? I posted an article today at Silver Screen and Roll sort of talking about Kuzma. Um, I know you wrote about Kuzma last week for The Athletic. I think changing the context of him a little bit is how you get there. You had sort of focused on some of the things that he's not doing as well. I really enjoyed you breaking down from the film standpoint the fundamentals of his footwork and how that might be impacting his shooting, for example. I went in the the other direction with Kuzma a little bit more in terms of like, hey, what do we know works for Kuzma? Mm -hmm. These are the things we know that work. We know that he can thrive as a transition player. We know that he can do well as an open spot up shooter. We know that he can attack a closeout. And we know that he can read defenses um, on cuts and off of screens, like Mm -hmm. when he's a screener and, and really slash to the rim. He's got finishing craft when he goes downhill, right? Sidestep, wrong-legged runners, little leaning push shots, weird angle bank shots. He does a lot of like things well when, when he's getting t- towards the basket. I'd like to try to see the Lakers incorporate more of those opportunities within the context of their offense in order to bring out more successes from him in order to optimize him more. With Kuzma, he plays really great with LeBron, and the Lakers have been, I think, plus 13 or so in the 200-and-something minutes that um, Kuzma has been on the court with with LeBron, right? So that's a 13-net rating in, in a not quite that small sample size. Right, right. That's a good combo. Like 230 minutes or 240 minutes, net rating of plus 13, like you're cooking at that point. You add Anthony Davis to that mix and their net rating goes up to almost plus 23, right? Mm. But in a much smaller sample, you remove LeBron and add Rajon Rondo and Anthony Davis and the numbers dip again, right? Mm -hmm. Why is that? I haven't dove into the film, so... I want to ask you, like, are there things that you're seeing with those specific pairings that sort of make make you say, huh, like, this isn't working for him? I mean, 
the reason the numbers are different is because you just replaced LeBron James with Rajon Rondo, right? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> like, like let's, not to make it too complicated there, with Kuz, the argument I was trying to make in the athletic piece was that that missing link, that his ability to shoot on the move, which he's capable of, he can come off of a of a stagger and square up and rise up with it. Um, but he's got this like little technical deficiency that unlocks everything else. Right. There's yeah. a, there's a break in the chain between, OK, he can shoot uh, well from or he's spotting up well and he's always been able to attack closeouts well, right? And he's getting more closeouts that I think will allow him to get into the paint, shoot those wonderful runners and floaters that he's great at, show off his touch around the rim, which is the best aspect of a very well-rounded scoring game. The break in the chain is that ability to shoot coming off of screens because he can't get to those curls, to those floaters, to those runners. If everybody's going under him, if nobody's locking and trailing, if guys are breaking off and weaving around that stagger to meet him, to take the curl away and surrendering that jumper in the process, like he's got to hit that just 35% of the time to make them pay for giving him an open shot or or to make them change their coverage and then get him into what he's really good at. I honestly do, do think that it's like a little bit of both. Right. I understand that Kuzma can't play 100 percent of his minutes with with LeBron James. And so when he's not on the court with LeBron, what are some of the things the Lakers can do? I think that they can involve him more as like a screener off ball, especially in sets with with Anthony Davis. I think he should be screening for Davis a little bit more. I think that Kuzma himself Instead of slipping every screen when he's setting on-ball screens, I think he needs to be maybe a little bit more of a fundamental pick-and-pop guy certain times, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than always sort of ghosting screens and running right through them into cuts. There are times where the Lakers should really be targeting him with hit-aheads in order to get him maybe one or two transition opportunities against defenses that aren't set just to see if he can create and get something going and sort of trust him to make the right play or give him enough leash to make a few mistakes. You talked about this last week when we talked about Kuzma, but there's a certain amount of investment in him Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. And those investments, I think, are long-term goals, right? Right. They They are to get to the best version of Kuzma that he can be. I happen to think that while those might conflict with certain short-term goals, right, like winning this specific game um, or what this specific part of the schedule looks like, that in the long term, the goals of the best Kuzma that you can have align perfectly with the ultimate goal of let's win an NBA championship. And I'm trying to get the Lakers and Kuzma to that intersection point that's down the graph. So here's the conundrum that I see is that the thing that's working for the team overall is not conducive to what Kuz does well. What I mean by that is we're not running very many plays and we're generally giving the ball to our best players and oftentimes clearing out a side for them. We've touched on this a few times, but think of that from Kuzma's perspective. If you've got LeBron in the high post on one side of the court and the other four at the top of the key all the way to the other side, clearing out that entire side of the court. It's harder to cut when there are that many bodies, right? Mm -hmm. You've got 
if you beat your guy on a back cut, it's like just one step back into the side for the help defender to be able to tag on you. And maybe LeBron makes that skip pass to the corner, but it's it's an easier rotation. The, the more bodies there are, the less space there is to cut and shoot. It, it just makes intuitive sense, right? And so the thing is, though, that that's really worked well because LeBron yeah. has been chewing up any single coverage and if you send the second guy it's just a matter of either i'm going to throw the lob to to dwight or javel or anthony davis if you don't usually one of the two fives though uh if if you don't come down and tag on him if you do i'm going to throw a skip pass to the weak side and anthony davis is one of the guys spotting up kuz is one of the guys spotting up but it's a stationary approach to basketball when kuzma is so wonderful on the move and so i see kuz like trying to find his natural like oh i can cut here i can cut there and he's running into people or close to it and so I don't know how to bridge those the two of those. Does anything come to mind for you off the top of your head? No, like I think that in those scenarios where where the Lakers are really sort of matchup hunting, which I think is what you're describing there, LeBron is like the ultimate Swiss Army knife when it comes to matchups as well. He can basically post up anyone his size or smaller. And a lot of teams like to put wings on him because when he goes out to the perimeter on bigs, he just destroys them still. Like Mm -hmm. either shooting that step back three or he still has enough juice off of the dribble to just get to the front of the rim. So I understand that because that's working, you're not going to change that aspect of things to accommodate Kyle Kuzma, right? right? What I would like to see, though, is the Lakers don't do that on 100% of their possessions a game. So there's an action, and the Lakers yeah. actually run this action a lot. It's an action where they run sort of a wide pin down for a guard. They run it a lot for Avery Bradley, and they run it a lot for KCP. So it's basically a play for the guy who starts at point guard. This is their horn strong handoff, right? So it'll start out of a horn set. It's a dribble handoff and basically ends up being a triple screen. uh, And they come off of that. So yes, continue. KCP does a pretty good job of, and Bradley does this too, is they will then make a read after that second hand, after that handoff play at the right elbow, right? Mm -hmm. And they're getting the ball, they're getting down downhill, and they are determining, oh, I I either have a 12, 15 foot pull up jumper against drop coverage, or I've got a lane to the basket to try to finish. And when I go to to the basket, I've got a shot attempt or I've got a lob, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's basically a three read play. It's shoot the pull up, it's get to the rim, or it's throw the lob. And Bradley- Or or you can throw the skip on that too. KCP hit uh, LeBron on a nice, anyway, yes, that's the fourth read, yeah. Yes, but very few of our guards have that read in them consistently. Sure. It's, what it basically is, I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but it's, it's, a great play to run for those two guys because KCP, I've said this for years, it's a weird thing. He's a good passer on pick and rolls. He just can't dribble the freaking ball. So like he can't run many pick and rolls. It's a way to get guys who are not great ball handlers into those pick and roll type of reads where a guy like KCP and even Bradley are, are very successful at making that when they couldn't do it off of the dribble themselves. Anyway, continue, please. So I wouldn't mind running that action for Kuzma every once in a while. Oh, good call. Good call. Yeah. One of the things you highlighted in your athletic piece was how he's not getting that right hip turned, right? And and getting all the way squared up to shoot the pull-up jumper. And so he would definitely need to work 
on his footwork if this was going to be a play that he was running, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Bradley and KCP are much more comfortable whipping that front foot around to get squared before they shoot that jumper. That said, Kuzma's a very right-handed player. Yes. And he loves to get to his right hand and start to get downhill. Kuzma can also be a pretty good pick-and-roll passer. He showed flashes of that over both his rookie and his sophomore season, both times when Brandon Ingram went injured and Kuzma was basically playing a lot more ball handler forward type. And it's one of the reasons I think you and I have both been sort of optimistic that there is some playmaking to be unlocked with Kuzma down the line as sort of more of a a like hybrid combo forward, Mm -hmm. like a three, four rather Mm -hmm. than just being a straight up power forward who stretches the floor. So this is an action. I wouldn't mind them running for Kuzma a little bit more just to see like, hey, is this something that is in our playbook that we run a half a dozen to a dozen times a game against Phoenix? They ran it, I think, on like eight or 10 straight possessions. That's right. Because Phoenix couldn't stop it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. So why not put Kuzma in those types of actions as well, like that's right in the playbook already. You don't have to change anything. You don't, all, all you have to do is say, you start here instead of over there, right? Like that's it. Like you can put whatever other guy at the other elbow to set that screen. If he's in the game with Danny Green, have Danny Green set set that damn screen. He's like, he's been setting more screens lately. Like it's it's not about the personnel necessarily. It's about the action that is getting the guy open because he's basically running about 25 feet before he gets to the spot on the floor where he's making his first read. And, and so that's just one play. And I'm not saying they should like, oh, like this is going to be like this huge difference maker for Kuzma and this is going to unlock his full game. But why not? It's a way to get more out of him that like when you said you have to run 25 feet before you have to make your first read. Perfect for Kuzma. He's good at (laughs) covering that 25 feet, getting away from his defender during that time. That's like a way to resolve that whole we're very strong side with a superstar. There's eight guys on the weak side, you know, not a lot of space to cut. It gets him on the move. It gives him he's similar to Bradley and KCP in that he's like, okay as a ball handler, but he's not like really a pick and roll guy. He doesn't have the handles for that. So you take that element out. That's perfect. You've solved Kuzma's uh, offensive struggles, Darius. So I think we're going to uh, going to end the show there. So thank you for uh, for fixing for fixing his problems. Yeah, let's uh, let's email this to Frank Vogel, right? We'll, we'll get right. You have it. his email, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, me and Frank go way back. So uh, you've been listening to the yeah. Lakers Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know 
Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.